0: Howdy, I'm Paul Isaac Yoder. This is Authors Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. Hi, everybody. This is Paul. Um, I listened to that last episode and I didn't like it either. Um, But, you know, there were parts I liked, so we'll, we'll keep working on it. On December 1st, I will start writing about 2,000 words per day. On December 2nd, I'll be editing those first 2,000 words before writing 2,000 more. I'll be doing that in addition to my day job and this podcast and other commitments. And that's not totally unheard of, but it's not for everybody. I've gotten very comfortable with writing 1,000 words of fiction every day. That's my normal amount. That said, comfort is a tricky thing. If you get comfortable with your workout routine and diet, that's a sign that you're either maintaining or losing bodily strength. If you push yourself, you might get stronger. You might break too. And I guess that's the whole idea of this thing. So here's a story that has nothing to do with this podcast. When I was in high school, I began having a bit of a health crisis. I was just a little tubsters if you know what I mean. I spent most of my time reading and eating and I had a you know body parts that just flopped around like an elephant ear. And so I started trying to run. And I have a distinct memory of when I first ran a full 5k. And that's that's a little over 3 miles. It was on a local track and there was another family walking around the track, so I actually stopped them and told them about what I'd just done and how happy I was, um, and they pretended to be impressed. From then on, I knew that it was possible to run that far and that fast, and every time I went a little further or faster, I knew that that, too, was possible. In fact, I got so that I would feel really bad about myself if I didn't do my best on any particular day. And this, along with my self-confidence issues and my general lack of mental health, ended up almost killing me. Because I got to the point where people were worried about like all the bones they could count under my skin. And, and when you don't feed your body and keep demanding that it run all over creation, um, certain parts of you begin to shut down. You get a little cold-blooded. Your emotions get weird and ghostly. I didn't care at all about my comfort at that point. I wanted to be the very best very most disciplined kid there ever was. Um, But then my body wasn't just cold and weird. It was breaking down. And so thank God for friends and family and therapy. I'm alive and I still run every day because I'm alive. Because I took a bit of interest in my comfort, I get to sustain the life that sustains the work. All that to say, don't kill yourself trying to do the most with the least. That's what almost got and then eventually did get Philip K. Dick and other writers who ought to have lived and worked a lot longer. That said, you can probably do more than you give yourself credit for. They call the area above your lower tolerance for comfort a comfort zone, appropriately, and your zone can shift. So, for example, when you were young, going to kindergarten every day seemed insane the first few times you went. Where am I, you know? Like, why are we talking to a flag and gluing together popsicle sticks? And where are these popsicles? By the time you were 12, you probably weren't still running to your guardian's car with tears in your eyes when you heard the afternoon bell. You'd gotten used to a habit and the habit was good for you. You would not have been served by staying in your first day of kindergarten comfort zone. You would also not be served if kindergarten was some sort of marine boot camp where you had to chew each bite of food seven times before swallowing and Mrs. Dinkeldorf would like scream at you and call you a maggot and all that. So just because I'm doing this experiment of, you know, quick first draft, get it out the door over and over, just because I'm trying it out doesn't mean it's best. In fact, I guarantee it's not. I won't write anything even close in quality to George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones. That said, I will write something better than The Winds of Winter, only insofar as what I write will eventually exist. I'm going to stretch to see how far I can stretch, but I'm not going to stay perpetually stretched to follow this increasingly elastic metaphor. So, right now, since I'm a little... Tubby, when it comes to this particular marathon, let's get slowly up to speed. Most months, I won't have a ton of time while writing one book to think about plotting its successor. I'll use podcasts like these to think aloud about what happened on the last plot and what I'd like to do with the next one. And since I've got a bit of a head start on December, I think I'll pitch you one of the more tricky stories I've been wanting to write. Everything I say from here on out is my opinion, and opinions are like dookies. Everybody's got one, but you're entirely justified if you want to just ignore it. So, one of my ancestors was in the Union Army in the American Civil War. Um, now, the reason I can say that on a podcast... Uh, is that it was the side that we're happy won, I think. Um, and if you detect a certain self-satisfaction in my voice due to some event over which I had zero control, you are correct. And it's that smugness that makes me unqualified to write about it. Um, namely, to write about uh, America's history with slavery and racism. Racism is a tricky thing to write about, uh, so I'm not going to. The family legend is that my ancestor was left for dead outside of Andersonville, this sort of death-by-starvation camp in the Deep South, and he was nursed back to health in secret by a slave. Um, That's a legend. Not sure it's true. My first idea was to take that story and add a fictional element that my ancestor fell in forbidden love with this mystery woman and that 16 later their you know their love child who was previously unknown to his father comes to dad and tells him mom said if she ever went missing I should come and find you and then cue the rollicking adventure where dad and son defeat the evil racists in reconstruction era Georgia and there's some true detective style occult mystery and all the white people closed the book feeling, you know, not good about themselves, but at least good about the main characters and their consciences and my conscience wouldn't be bothered too much. And that was my first idea. What I've learned is to never, never accept your first idea without question. And the more I started to question the idea, the more uncomfortable I found its answers to be. Now, I could still write that first idea, but I'd spend the whole book trying to answer the question of my uh, white take on racism and hidden prejudices rather than focusing on the real issues that the characters face. It would be a book that spends its time trying to defend its author, and that's not very interesting. Now, just because your first idea doesn't stand up to questioning doesn't mean it's not useful. So picture that first idea as a car with a busted chassis. Like, I used to ride that car all over the place. It has been sort of driving around my mind all the time. The car is now a total loss, but that doesn't mean I can't cannibalize the car for its motor. It made the idea run in the first place, so I'm not gonna toss it out. Here's my new idea. Transport that initial thought from its original context into a realm of fantasy. But, you say, this has been done before, sometimes clumsily. Andrzej sabkowski uh he has an interesting take on human colonizers destroying the elves and dwarves that originally occupied the world of the Witcher um that series uh is not an exemplar of uh pc culture but there we are C S Lewis and J R R Tolkien both have fantasy races that are on the most charitable reading problematic um J.K. Rowling even has a world of different races, which for all their genius and charm strikes some as offensive. When you create a fantasy world with different races of sentient beings, making these beings different from one another in intelligence and ability, you start to play with the very dangerous themes of essentialist inequality. That is, by making races different, you raise the possibility that they should be treated differently or want to be treated differently. The authors I mentioned approach that subject with nuance and tact in some cases, but I don't trust myself to overcome the hurdles that they might have tripped on. So let's think again. What if the slaves look exactly like the masters? What if the difference between the lower and upper classes is just class? The ancient Romans didn't see this as a problem. In the Roman Republic, the masters actually feared what would happen if one could tell the difference between a slave and a free person on first glance. After all, what if these slaves realize how many slaves there are? What if they realize their power and go all Spartacus on us? So the obvious question of, is American chattel slavery and racism bad has been answered pretty thoroughly by authors more qualified than I. I am interested in a different question. What if slavery was secret? What if we didn't even call it slavery? So here's my idea. Former slavery was recently abolished on the Koresh Isthmus. The former masters looked just like the former slaves. One can differentiate status by speech, clothes, even the way one smiles, but there are masters who pretend to be slaves and slaves who pretend to be masters. Turner was born a slave. Now, technically free, he works the same land as his ancestors, taxed by his former master to cover the loss of his enslaved property. Turner dreams of covering his debt and saving up enough to marry a girl above his station and move to the capital where his father supposedly lives. Then, one night, all that possibility gets taken away by a secretive cult that offers a alternative to the status quo. Turner is told that his father fought in the war to free the slaves. Turner hopes that his father can fight this new threat. Um... Granted, I came up with that prompt uh, while I was writing this episode. Uh, How'd I do that? Well, it's a prompt, but it's not a story. Not yet. I just took the motor out of the broken car, and now I have to build a car around it. We have the advantage in a fantasy setting of building an entire world around the themes. The story can do something the old story couldn't. Some oppressed people, no matter their appearance, refuse to fight the status quo because they believe with enough gumption they can get on the more comfortable side of whatever system of oppression currently exists in that society. I think the most interesting thing we can do with our quasi-slavery story is to interrogate that American dream. Turner, our protagonist, is going to attempt the hero archetype by seeking out a capable master and becoming something more than a humble farm boy. He will think that the system, though flawed, can ultimately be overcome by talent and perseverance. But, like I said, first thoughts should be put to the question. But so far, aside from the removal of what we would call racism, there's nothing fantastic about this story. But we're telling a story about hierarchy. Why don't we put those main characters on real big wolves? When I think about this type of conflict, I think about predators and prey. I think about the ultimate servant class of humanity, dogs. I mean, horses are cool, but they're scared of dogs who are like half the size of a horse at best. So what would the world look like with a little bit of magic and the introduction of large weaponized predators? I don't know exactly what that looks like, uh, but that's why I'll be writing the story through the month of December. And that's the freedom of this project for me. See, if I was going to devote my next year to this idea, I'd be a little nervous. I'm nervous as is, but that's just me. I'm using only a month of my writing time to explore this book. If it's any good, I can come back and buff it up. If it turns out to be the clumsy, problematic morality tale that my subconscious thinks it might end up becoming... Then I'll count the writing time as practice and I will lose nothing. So what I learn, hold the ambitions in an open palm. If they fall, let them fall and don't get crushed underneath. That said, hold them if they can be held. Lift just a little harder than you think yourself able, because you just might hold up.